I'm podcasting fresh off the Conversations in Sign Language and Autism Symposium that happened in Boston this weekend. What does deafness and sign language have to do with autism? It's a good question. People who use sign language generally don't speak, and maybe that can provide help to those with autism and limited verbal ability. You may remember that I attended this symposium last year. The overarching goal of this meeting is to take lessons on how deaf people use sign language to communicate to learn about how people with autism who have social communication differences, how they communicate to those that don't have these same differences. The communication challenges that are being referred to are those in individuals that can speak but experience obstacles in getting their point across or maintaining social relationships through communication. These are not what is known as the minimally verbal individuals with autism. The first session focused on what is known as the precision hypothesis. This hypothesis states that individuals on the spectrum place a higher value on the precision of communication rather than the efficacy of communication. So they may use more words, but they're very, very detailed. For this, precision means attention to detail and striving for completeness in communication. When I say communication deficits here, it's quality, not quantity. John Robeson, who was at the conference, pointed out that maybe it is more that people who don't understand the precision have problems communicating with those that use precision. So is this more of a problem of society? People with autism see it differently. People without autism talk with a lot of unnecessary social fluff like metaphors and symbols, and people with autism don't see that to be necessary. So do we have an overemphasis in this society on language and what symbols mean? These were questions that were brought up at the meeting. So this led to the question of how do you talk about disability, which I was honored and humbled to be a part of. Okay, so I was humbled, but in some circles, this is a very controversial question, and I was a little scared. Given that many of these conversations included individuals with irregularities in social communication rather than impairments, I'm not sure that the tenor of the conversation reflected the way we think about disability across all people with autism. The bigger question may be, are all these different types of autism all autism, or are they different subtypes? What does it mean for someone to have autism in different cultures where things like joint attention and eye gaze are different? So the real question ended up being, what is autism? These are wonderful questions worthy of further consideration. But one question did have an answer this week. Are all these efforts to lower the age for kids to get a comprehensive developmental evaluation working? We hear the numbers in the age of diagnosis being too high, that you can make a diagnosis very young and we're still not seeing diagnosis being made until they get older. We're really hoping that kids get in for a full evaluation earlier to help with that. So what's the data? Good news this week, and I know we could all use it. So for almost 15 years, the CDC has been tracking the number and characteristics of eight-year-old children with autism spectrum disorder, or ASD, through what's called the Autism and Developmental Disabilities Monitoring Network, or ADAM. That's where the 1 in 68 number comes from. A growing body of research tells us that the earlier a child is identified with autism and connected with services, the greater the benefit of intervention will be to that child. So there was a study that was conducted to understand more about children who are identified at autism at younger ages to help inform these early identification efforts. The CDC conducted a pilot program called Early Adam. 
Instead of looking at eight-year-olds, they reviewed the school and health records to examine characteristics of preschool children, specifically four-year-olds, with autism in five communities across the U.S. that are also in the eight-year-old Adam network. So they were able to compare the four-year-old children to school-age children, or eight-year-olds, in these same five communities. So for the first time, the CDC last week released findings from this pilot project. The data say several things. First, the prevalence of autism in four-year-olds was about 30% lower than it was in eight-year-olds living in the same areas. This is not that unusual. Tracking of ASD among school-aged children, sometimes they're not identified until age four or five. As you can probably guess, tracking preschoolers is a bit trickier than when they're eight. But the CDC looked at health and school records, so presumably they're getting a pretty good, although not perfect, estimate of how many four-year-olds have autism. I know when I said many children with autism are not being identified until after four or five is shocking, but it's true. That number needs to be lowered. But keep in mind that in the way that autism prevents itself, some children won't receive a diagnosis until after age two. That metric of you can receive a diagnosis at age two is true for a lot of kids, but not everybody, even under the best circumstances. For example, take baby Sibs research. These researchers closely monitor outcomes from six months of age in kids that have a high risk of having a diagnosis later. Expert clinicians in families that are really on top of things participate in these studies. But in some cases, a child doesn't meet criteria until age three or later. This clearly isn't so much the fault of the system, but the way that autism develops over time. Diana Robbins noted in an accompanying editorial of this paper that children may be able to compensate for some symptoms like social engagement when social demands are lower. But as they age, these impairments may become more obvious. In any event, we expect that ASD prevalence in this group of preschool children will increase as they get older. But continuing to track autism among these younger children can help us understand more about the characteristics of children who are identified before kindergarten. The efforts to lower the age of first evaluation and diagnosis will not stop here, trust me. This isn't the end of the story. The CDC and other advocacy organizations are not giving themselves a pat on the back and saying that their job is done. However, it does say what they're doing is working. Everyone will continue to implement programs like Learn the Signs Act early to ensure that the community and primary care providers, parents and teachers, know the signs and know what to do if they have a concern. So there's also some good news relating to this in a separate study from Baylor. So despite that long wait lists for diagnostic autism evaluations may delay initiation of critical early interventions, Recent data from Texas Children's Hospital showed that most children are receiving early intervention services before their diagnostic autism evaluations. How is this happening? This may be attributable to increased awareness among primary care providers and families of the importance of early interventions, so people are not waiting for a diagnosis to refer kids into early intervention. There needs to be further investigation into access to more intensive interventions once an autism diagnosis is established. So the second thing that the CDC data shows us is that preschool kids with autism were more likely to have an intellectual disability than school-aged children identified with autism in the same communities. Intellectual disability means that a person has difficulty learning at, at an expected level and functioning in daily life. In this report, intellectual disability was measured by intellectual quotient or IQ tests. 
They also are more likely to be caught on developmental evaluations because their symptoms may be considered more severe. So they're the ones that may be picked up earlier. Third, the data shows that progress has been made in identifying children with autism at younger ages. By looking at the age of first evaluation in those same areas as the last ADAM study of eight-year-olds, they found that children born in 2006 received a comprehensive developmental evaluation five months earlier than children born in 2002. This is the good news. This difference of five months is important because the earlier a child is evaluated, the earlier the child can receive a formal diagnosis of autism and be connected to services. Lastly, maybe not such great news, they found that autism was just as common in African-American and Caucasian preschool-aged children. However, African-American preschool-aged children were less likely than Caucasian preschool-aged children to have been evaluated for developmental concerns by the age of three years. These findings reinforce the need for early identification and universal screening, despite what the United States Preventative Services Task Force says. Also, all children with any sort of concern by parents or pediatricians at an early age should continue to be monitored. Just because it isn't autism at two years, if there's continued concerns, keep evaluating, keep your eyes open, and have a watchful eye of symptoms that may change. This opens a lot of research questions, and especially how the gap between African-American children and Caucasian children can be closed. One important research question would be, what happens between the ages of four to eight years that this study can tell us about how we can lower the age of diagnosis even further? So good news this week, and interesting questions from the CASEL, or Conversations in Autism and Sign Language meeting. I look forward to talking to you next week when I'll be recapping the most important and impactful research discoveries of 2015.